Jesus, we know that your word says that without you, we can do nothing. We can't preach a sermon, we can't sing a song, we can't share with our neighbours, we can't even work effectively, Father, without you. So at the very beginning of this sermon, Father, we just want to say, you're it, Jesus, you're the all that we need. And Lord, we ask you to help us to communicate effectively your word so that understanding takes place. Lord, I ask that understanding would take place because if your word is not understood, the demonic birds take it away and we are not benefited by it. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand it and we would receive with meekness your word engrafted into our hearts that will save us. We ask that you help us now to hear and to listen and you'll help me to declare your word, Lord Jesus. And Lord, at the end of it, you'll help us to do it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So last week we started on a we started on a sermon that said, "Born for this," and um, so we're going to actually look at the passage of scripture in Isaiah that we were looking at. Now, remember, I told you that this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah forty nine, is a messianic uh, prophecy, which means it is a, a prophecy that Isaiah was giving about Jesus he was talking about this is Jesus this is who Jesus is coming and so he, he, he this is a, a messianic prophecy so we, we we read these words listen to me and this is talking about Jesus all you distant lands pay attention you who are far away the Lord called me and this is Jesus saying this the Lord has called me before my birth from within the womb he called me by name he made my mouth like a sharpened sword In the shadow of his hand he hid me, he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. And so we know that that's a messianic messianic prophecy for Jesus. We know that that's the context of that thing. But there's also a parallel involved there. When he uses the term Israel, we know he's talking about the people of God too. So there's an inclusive connection with the people of God um, and with Jesus. And so Jesus was the forerunner. He's also talking about the thing that the people of God will be doing as well. So in a sense, we too were seen before we were born. That in in our mother's womb, God had a plan for us and a purpose. And we we studied that last week. Before we were born, God knew our name. He knew everything about us. And he had a plan for our lives to do something. And so like Jesus said, you know, you you listen to me. I was called before I was born and and God had a plan for my life. Same too that he has called us. And the plan for our lives that we should do something. And working and finding out the purpose of God is what it really brings meaning to our lives. And so as it was for Jesus, so it is with us. The word says that Jesus was a sharpened sword. And the word sharp is an interesting word. It means to be sharp, to be alert, and to be keen. So it's like having a sharpness of focus, also a sharpness of the edge of the blade. So there's this keen, sharp feeling of focus, being alert, and the sharpness of a blade are used together there. The Bible tells us that iron sharpeneth iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron, you know, if you want to sharpen a sword, 
you usually have to get a file and you start to file the sword away and you polish it and you polish it and then you beat it and you beat it until it get a razor finish on that edge and it's iron that sharpens iron and it says that's the same way as man sharpens man there's something about our human interaction that is meant to shape us there's something about our human interaction one with another that's meant to sharpen us but the problem is when that human interaction takes place sometimes we have a choice to be bitter or we have a choice to be better you know one of the things that i noticed in life is that you can't stop problems from happening you can you can want to stop problems from happening but you can't stop problems from happening i have a a fish pond in my backyard a lot of you have seen my fish pond and in my fish pond we had large fish we used to say oh we'll go down and we'll catch a fish and we'll catch a fish and i'd pull it up and i'd bang its brains out while you watched and then we'd have it on the barbecue remember those days we had fish from my pond now, I'm thinking that my fish pond and its fish are protected from everything around because they're not connected to anything around. But there's a thing called a duck, a wild duck, that comes and lands on my pond. And in its feathers, there's a little thing called a critter that lives. And that critter goes into the water and it starts its life cycle in the water and it finds a fish. It's a crustacean, like a little crab. You can't see it, it's so tiny, it's so small. And when it gets onto the fish, it bites the fish. And when it stands on the fish, it then drops all its legs off and sends out a long little ribbon. And that long little ribbon is like an egg sac full of other little critters. And it sits on the fish. It's called an anchor worm. And as the fish swims along, the anchor worm, it's just stuck in there because it's made its head into an anchor and it's embedded in the fish's body. Now, we wanted to have a community or we'd love to have a community that is like set aside from everything else and make it, let's have a monastery, let's have a community where we live and we can all live together in happy harmony on a farm with no one coming in and causing us problems, you see? But, you know, that can't, we're told to be in the, the world, not apart from the world. And like my fish pond, even though it's not connected to the creek down the bottom... The animals from the creek come and sit in it and then the fish get this anchor worm. You know, I had to kill all my fish because they were dying slowly and I had to empty all my water at the pond. I had to clean it all out because there was no way else to clean the pond. You see, now, that's like life. Life is sometimes like that. You get yourself in a situation and you find, you go to work and you think, if I could just go and work in a situation that was perfect for me and I had no problems, I want to find the perfect hair salon to work in where there are no problems. And I'll, I want to be able to plait people's hair and do all that fancy stuff where everything is in harmony. But do you know what happens? You get sitting down there and all of a sudden someone starts to talk to you while you're sitting down there and it sort of impacts you somehow and you get an attitude and you get a feeling happens or you might want to work in a in a, a daycare center where there's little kids and and you you're gonna you just want a perfect a christian daycare center where there's no problems happening you, you get all those little kids but somebody brings a little child that's full of demons into the thing and you know before long you've got a daycare center that sounds like a demon center yeah, it would be great. It would be great if you could have a place where everything was perfect and there was no problems anymore. There was no interactions that caused us pain. But God didn't make it that way. 
In life, we are brought into relationships and into situations which always will produce pain. Some of you think that when you get married to that perfect person that you are going to find, that your life will be bliss from then on, happily ever after. I've got news for you. You, I know, Mum, you're an exception. And God had his eye on you right from the very beginning. You just married the right... He was, bo- he was born a Christian, my father. He'll tell you. Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's that... Listen, we're always going to have problems and we're going to have problems interpersonally. We, you, there is nowhere you can go in this life where you will not find difficulties interpersonally. But in those times when those difficulties come, you have one choice to make. You choose to be better or you choose to be bitter. Now, what does the bitter person say? The bitter person says something like, Poor me, I'm the victim. (laughs) If everybody was nice to me, my life would be better. (laughs) Poor me, it's unfair. Everybody's against me. And then you get this attitude that says certain people are bad and wicked and are villains and they need to be severely blamed and punished. I mean, I, because it's not nice for me, that person's causing me a problem and that person's causing me a problem and that person's causing me a problem. And, you know, if I could just remove that person, that person and that person from my life, then I would be able to be better. But I can't because they're there and because they're there, I'm now bitter inside. I'm angry inside. I can't get rid of that feeling of things are not nice. You see, what we've got to understand is when God lets those situations come upon our lives, and they will come upon our lives, that God doesn't want us to get bitter. He says, take out the bitter root. He wants us to get better. He wants to change us. He wants us to get to a place where we can say, okay, this is going to hurt. When I went into the pastorate, one of the things that... Um, that was years ago when I was young and silly. You remember those days when I was young and silly? Noel, you were around about that time. Yeah, they can't keep a record of it. It's a long time. Ago. I kind of thought we were doing a, a great job and people would be grateful. <laughs> That's just not like that, is it? Uh, you know, when you're dealing with people, you know, people, maybe it's just difficult and you're going to get hurt. And Jesus knew that. I mean, Jesus came to earth to save us. He was the rescuer to save us. And in his attempt to rescue us, guess what we did to him? Tell us what we did to him. Crucify him. So that's the pattern that's been set for us. Jesus said, well, if you can't in this world, like I've come into this world, don't expect to be treated real nicely. You're going to get crucified sooner or later. And see... When those times of hurt come, Jesus said, this is the idea that I want you to hold. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when people persecute and say all manner of things against you. you. You see, he said... You know, all of this stuff that is going to beat at you like iron beats on iron, I want it to make you sharper. I don't want it to make you blunt and I don't want it to make you bitter. I want it to make you sharper. I want you to make it sharper so that you can be better for me. 
So if you're looking in life for situations where things are perfect, you will never find them. You'll find situations in life where things will make you perfect. They will perfect you. And it's the perfecting that Jesus is interested in. He wants us to change. And you might get into a situation that says, what is Jesus trying to teach? Every time I turn around, there's another face saying the same thing to me. What is Jesus trying to say to me? What can I learn from this? What do I, what do I need to change in my life because of this? And then you're asking the, the right questions so that Jesus can change you. And the beating of the iron can sharpen you. And change you into what he wants you to be. This is the word that came to Ezekiel. And I want to, it talks about a sword. And I, I like this because I think it tells you what a sword is like. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, This is what the Lord says a sword, a sword, sharpened and polished, sharpened for the slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. The sword is appointed to be polished. It is grasped with the hand. It is sharpened and polished, made ready for the hand for the slayer. We are swords. What's the point in being a sword if you're not sharp? What's the point in being a sword for Jesus in Jesus' hand? If you're not sharp enough to slay the devil, to slay the rubbish, to change the injustice, to break the chains of injustice and set the captive free, what's the point in having and being a sword for Jesus if you are not sharp and you can't do the work of God to set captives free from injustice and the things around you? God has called us to be sharpened swords. He's appointed us to get out there and slay something. And I know what we're meant to slay, and it's not, the other, it's not people around us. We're meant to slay the devil and his cronies. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to walk in there, and we're meant to press on in God and resist the devil. The Bible tells us that our battle is not against each other, but it's against the devil. We are just, as Jesus thought, we are to resist the devil. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And the Bible tells us in, in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's like you have been sharpened, and situations can sharpen your life. They can beat you and say, Lord Jesus, teach me how to do, teach me how to act, teach me how to think, teach me how to feel, teach me how to respond correctly. And as you're going through these difficult relationships, you can learn how to be sharper and sharper and sharper. And why? Because Jesus is fashioning himself a bright sword that will shine and go for him. You know, this hardship that we go through, will it ever end? The big answer is, no, it will not stop. He said, well, I want it to stop. I can't even breathe. I'm drowning. Learn to breathe underwater. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I don't know about you, but I have dreams. I have dreams that I fly and I have dreams that I can dream underwater. I learned as a child to fly in my dreams. They say if you have a dream when you're flying, you're trying to escape something. Well, in my dreams, I never wanted to escape anything. I wasn't flying to get away. I was flying because I could fly. And I used to look and say, can I teach? And I'd grab somebody's hand and off we'd go. I'd put my hand up there. I think it was when I saw the flying nun, you know. She used to put the hand up like that. And the wind used to get under her habit and off she'd go up into the air. And I think, 
think, I must have seen that when I was a kid and thought I could fly like the flying nun. I never had a habit. Though. But I, in my dreams, I'd take a person's hand and off we'd go. We'd go up and we'd start flying and I'd teach them to fly up through the clouds and it was all so fantastic. In my dreams where bad men were chasing me, and how many have pe- dreams where bad men chase you in your dreams? Put your hand up if you have. You know, I used to jump into the water and I used to think, I'm under the water, I've got to get to the surface or I was drowning. And then I learned, this is just a dream that I'm in the water. If it's just a dream that I'm in the water, then I can breathe underwater and the baddie can't get me. And so I started to dream that I was breathing underwater. And I can escape the baddie because I could go into the water and breathe underwater and he couldn't find me. Hey, listen, the stuff that goes on in our lives is not impossible to handle when you've got the God of the impossible living on the inside of you. Amen? You just got to hang on there and just got to keep on believing. You see, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we know that he's still around thrashing about in this world to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible tells us in Revelation that he is thrown down onto earth and he is thrashing around because he knows his days are evil, uh, his days are, are short. We know that the devil knows it's time running out. And so it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder for the believer. The persecution is going to come upon us. But that persecution doesn't need to break us. That persecution needs to make us. We don't need to get bitter about it. We need to get better about it. We need to let the hammer that hits us sharpen us so that we become sharper in God so we can be more effective in the battle. That's what's got to happen in our lives. You know, it says there, it says that the polished arrows were put in his quiver or hidden in his quiver. To polish, it means to purify, to select, to polish, to choose, to purge, to cleanse, to make bright, to test and to prove. They're all the words that are used for polish in the, in the Hebrew. Let's have a look at this idea for test and prove. We know that Jesus, when he came, he didn't need to be cleansed because he was born clean. He was born of God. He came from God. There was no sin in him. So we, he wasn't cleansed. Like we have to be cleansed. He was perfect and pure from the beginning. And he never, ever gave that up. But he did go through difficult times. And those difficult times were to test his character, to mature him. And the, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect. And the word is perfect. It doesn't mean lacking or imperfect. When it, when it says perfect, it means mature. Now, I have a mandarin tree, on, and on the mandarin tree, there are small mandarins, this big, and they're... Perfect, but they are not ripe yet. So if you ate them, it's not good for eating because it is too young to eat. It's not that it isn't perfect, it's just not ripe yet. So this is the word, fully ripe, mature, fully ripe. When Jesus was a boy, he wasn't imperfect, he wasn't flawed, he just wasn't full grown yet. He wasn't ripe yet. So this word here means... When God was making him perfect, he wasn't fixing up a problem in Jesus through his suffering, 
No, no, Jesus didn't have any problems. He was actually growing him up to be strong till he was full grown, mature. So it says, God makes Jesus suffer so that he can bring him up to maturity through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy. So Jesus is the one who makes people holy and we are the ones who are being made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So he set a pattern for us. He wants us to grow up in our lives. He wants us to become mature in our lives. And he, and we, he calls us to maturity through the suffering process. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What's the example to follow? To suffer. Oh, Mark, that's not a nice doctrine. It doesn't actually feel good on a Sunday morning when we have to face another week. We would rather hear the words, Mark, I have a place for you that has no suffering in it. Well, we hear those words, but that place is heaven. And while we're here now, we're in suffering. And when this time is over, then we will be in a place where there is no suffering where there is no crying, where there is no tears, where everything is perfect. But while we're here, we will suffer. And that suffering is meant to make us perfect. And so the, the test for Jesus was the test of maturity. And we also glory in our sufferings, it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. This is the hammering. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So all of the difficulties that we are going through, whether it's difficulties that you're suffering in your body because you're ill, difficulties that you're suffering because you are financially tight, strapped, you don't have a job, difficulties because you have a job and it's horrible working for the boss you're working for, difficulties because you're going through difficult situations in your life and, and, and marriage, it doesn't matter what the difficult situations are. It doesn't matter because the suffering, the suffering that is being produced is meant to develop within you a perseverance and a trust in Jesus that sharpens you ready for the battle that's before you. That's what it's important to understand. Our world wants instant happiness and, and really the goal of happiness seems to be the issue. Everybody, all I want to is to be happy. Stop that now. That isn't your godly mantra. The godly mantra, mantra should not be, all I want is to be happy because you will commit adultery to be happy because you're not happy with your wife. The godly mantra is not, all I want to be is happy. The godly mantra is, all I want to be is mature. All I want to do is grow. All I want to do is have Jesus' life reflect out of my life. Even though things are tough, I want to smell like Jesus when they crush me. That's being better. You won't get everything your own way here. It's not going to happen. But when it doesn't, you know that God is in you to help you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, and I hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in the sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. To polish means to purify, 
to select, to polish, to choose, to purge, to cleanse, to make bright, to test and approve. We looked at test and approve, but now we're going to look at to purify, to purge, to cleanse and to make. We need that purification. As an arrow that's hidden in his quiver, we need to be purified. Oh, of course, we are all born into sin and we have sin in our lives. We've done wrong things. We've done wrong things by people around us. We've broken rules. We've broken the Ten Commandments. We break them on a... On a and, and because we, we get messy and dirty and our lives are full of dirt, sinful dirt. And Jesus says, you've got to be clean. If you're going to work for me, if you want to be an arrow in my quiver, I have to clean you. I have to polish you. So this cleansed and purified comes through the confession that we make to Jesus. You know, folks, I don't know what you did this week. I wasn't there with you. I don't know the thoughts that tumbled through your head when you were alone in your bedroom. I don't know what happened when you were searching on that TV or on that um, PC uh, computer. I don't know where you strayed. I don't know what you thought when somebody walked past you. I don't know the thoughts that clustered through your head at work when you saw an opportunity that maybe gave you advantage, just a little bit of dishonesty, or that's all you need. I don't know what happened, but Jesus does. He knows every single thought. And then the psalmist said, Let the thoughts of my, my the meditations of my heart, the thoughts of the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. It's like the words that come out of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts are all before God. So that makes us all ashamed. We sit here and we think, oh, this is really shameful, Mark, because, you know, we are all really dirty. But he says, you know what? Come to me. Come to me and confess your sins. He says in 1 John 1, 9, he doesn't say, oh, you've done it again. I'm going to boot you this time. No, he says to you, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you, purify and purge you from all unrighteousness. I want to so be an arrow hidden in his quiver. I want to be a bright, glistening sword in his armory. I want that in my life. But to do that in my life, I have to continually go to him and say, Lord Jesus, cleanse me. Purify my heart. Take away that which will, will be filth to my life. And I come to him and ask his cleansing because he wants me to be clean. The Bible says in the passage that we are looking, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and, a concealed, and concealed me in his quiver. Now, I like this idea of being hidden and concealed in God's quiver. I like that because it means to hide, to conceal, and to carefully conceal. Jesus hides us. He covers us. We're hidden. It's not like you have to deal with anybody, really. I mean, Jesus is really there. If I go out onto the street on a Saturday night and there's a guy from Afghanistan sitting on a chair there and I look at it and think, you know, I don't think he's washed. I don't think I like what he looks like. Jesus notices that because the word of God tells me that he is present in that person. 
He says, as you did it to the least of these, he says, you did it unto me. When I look at a person and I think, oh, look, that person, oh. Jesus notices because he's there in that person. If Jesus is in the unsaved, how much more is Jesus all over us? If Jesus is present with the people who are broken and in need, how much more is Jesus in us? You know, it's, it's how do I look at this man? How do I see this man? Do I see Jesus hidden in him? If I see, can see Jesus hidden in him? Can he Je- see Jesus covering me? Will I respond in such a way that my life responds to this man where Jesus is hidden will show that I am hidden and Jesus is seen? Will I be manifesting Jesus and will I hide behind that? Or will he see me coming out and saying something? And not see Jesus. We want to be hidden in Jesus. We're told in in Colossians chapter three, verses two to three, it says, "Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you're hidden in Jesus. Every time you come out and jump around in the flesh, we see you. We don't see Him." So hide yourself, be hidden in his quiver and reflect Jesus in your life to those around you. To polish also means to select and to choose. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 30, and I love this is one of probably my most favorite passages in the scripture when it talks about God's selection. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That means you didn't have lots of degrees behind your name. You didn't go to university and you weren't very knowledgeable. Not many of you were influential. You didn't really have a lot of influence around people. Probably you didn't have influence around anybody. Everybody else was more influential than you. Not many of you have noble birth. You weren't born to rich people. You know, a rich man never had a... You were probably born somewhere on the lowest strata of society. Yeah. God chose, he says, the weak things of this world to shame the wise or the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things to shame. And the things, sorry, and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. He took an opportunity to choose the bottom of the barrel to make his point. I want you to think about that. When Jesus came, did he come to a royal family? And get laid in a, a gold cradle. No. He came to Jews. Now, who were the Jews? The Jews were oppressed. They were a class of people in slavery to the Romans. No? Uh, so did he come to an influential and wealthy Jewish family? No. No, the people that he came to were people who were so poor that they couldn't even get the money to go and stay in an inn they had to go and live in a stable they had to sleep where the cattle were sleeping he came to the very lowest point and he came to a single woman and was conceived in the womb of a single woman and had over his life the idea of immorality unchasteness like a woman giving birth to a child out of wedlock. That's the bottom. And the Pharisees knew it. 
We were not born of fornication, they judged Jesus as saying. Raising up his birth and saying, you were born before you were married. Before your mother was married. Just to push it in his face. But that was his plan. Because he likes us, little ones, at the bottom of the barrel. He takes the ones that are broken, the ones that are ashamed, the ones that are despised, the ones that are not mighty, the ones that are not influential, the ones that are not noble. And he takes them and says, you know what? I want my power to be seen. I want to hide you in my glory. And then he takes the ones that are little and he puts them up like that. And he says, now you rule and reign. And he took Jesus from the very lowest part and raised him to the very highest part that every knee that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ, he is the Lord. Amen. If he does it for him, he can do it for us. Amen? Amen? It doesn't matter where we are in society, in the strata of our place in society. What it matters is, are we hidden in Jesus and he's chosen us from birth? Are we going to do what Jesus wants us to do? Are we going to get better and not bitter? Are we going to go for God? It's because of him that you have been in Christ Jesus. For he has become for us God's wisdom, his righteousness, his holiness, and his redemption. You know, people are not looking at us. They're looking at Jesus. I don't look at Alex and say, oh, look, Alex is a really nice guy. What really catches me about Alex is when Alex is like Jesus. That's what really catches me. I say, that man's just like Jesus. That's what he wants in our lives. A sword is an outward protection. An arrow is for sending out in battle. So there's a focus out in our lives, not a focus in in our lives. So many people got focus in it. In our society, you are the center of the whole world. Everything should revolve around you. Who's the most important person in the world? Me. Take some more photos of yourself and put them on Instagram. Why? Because everybody would want to know how famous I am or how buff I am or how good looking my hair is. You're not the most important person in the world. The most important person in the world is Jesus. And if you let Jesus shine in your life, he will take the most unimportant person of the world and raise him up to be standing with him and ruling and reign with him in in the things of God. Have faith and have confidence. An arrow is to go out. It's not to be focused in on itself. It's not to be looking down at itself. It's to go out and say, let's do something. A sword is sharpened for the battle. An arrow is hidden in the quiver so it can be put in the thing and shot out. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to stand up and say, let's get to it? Let's get out of here. Let's do what we have to do for God. Are we sitting here looking for a holy huddle that's just perfect? What are you looking for? I'm looking for an opportunity to get out and go because I'm a sharpened sword and I'm a polished arrow. I want to get out and do something. What do you want to do with your life? You want to sit and say, "Eh, make it nice and cozy for me, Mark, so I'm all safe in here. No, you're in a quiver to be shot out. And who are you going to go and get? Who are you going to go and reach? You're hidden in Jesus. Who are you going to shine Jesus to? The opportunities are before us. The opportunities are in front of us. It's time for us to recognize we've been fashioned to move, to fly. We've been fashioned to fight. 
We've been fashioned to do something. We were born for this. This is what Jesus fashioned us for. And he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement in being united with Christ, if any comfort from, being, from his love, if any compa- common sharing in his spirit and any tender and co- tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others more than yourself. But what is the direction of the arrow? Value others more than yourself. What is the direction of the sword? It's to be humble and to put yourself out there to make a difference, to break down the things that the devil is there. Do not looking at your own interests, but each, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with each other, with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus had. I like this passage in 2 Corinthians. It says this. And it's getting nearly time, isn't it? You know? It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That's outward, folks. That means that the, the problems that you have faced the hammering that you've taken place is really not for you. It's for somebody else. I'm going through all this stuff. Why? Because God has chosen me and he's polishing his sword. He's polishing his I Why is this bad stuff happening to me? Well, you know why it's happening to you? Because I love you and I'm going to use you. I'm going to polish you and I'm going to send you. And when you're going to go out there, you're going to be effective and you're going to do my will because I am going to manifest my glory through you. That's what the bottom line is. It says you are sharpened and polished. You are better, not bitter. You are chosen and not forgotten. Your focus is outward, not inward. And your life is hid with Christ and God. Let's do something for God. Amen? It's time to move. It's time to take all of those big problems that we face, wrap them all up and say, thank you for the lessons, Lord Jesus. Now help me to shine for you. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray. Now, you may have gone through some difficult things. And I want to pray for you today. It's a matter of mind, really. Your mind gets tired. And you get tired of the pain. And you need to change your focus in that time and recognize that in the beating and in the polishing, Jesus wants to strengthen you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to show you his focus and his purpose. He wants to show you the reason why. Now, if you felt the pain and you felt the bashing and you, you just need to have the, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand and I want to pray <clears throat> and ask God to comfort you with his comfort so that you can comfort others. Raise your hand if you feel the pain. Okay, hold it up high like that. In fact, put the other one up beside it. Just put them both up there like that and say, Jesus, say with me, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my pain. I give you all my suffering. 
Polish me. Make me sharp. Help me to see how you make me better. I refuse bitterness. I accept your love. That you care for me. And you have a thing for me to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.